Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Since 2004, a group of committed people has coordinated an annual week-long 75-mile walk from Sasabe, Sonora, Mexico to Tucson, Arizona to call for an end to migrant deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border and to stand in solidarity with victims of global migration. In May 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, participants were unable to physically unite to remember those who have died crossing. In order to continue to raise awareness about migrant deaths and to help raise money for local border justice organizations, organizers launched an alternative migrant trail walk experience to bring people together in a virtual environment. Proceeds benefited BorderLinks, the Autumn Anti-Border Collective, Keep Tucson Together, and the No More Deaths Emergency COVID-19 Bond Fund. The Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience included a week of daily reflections, videos, podcasts, and featured speakers. Today on 30 Minutes, our multi-part series continues with excerpts from a presentation entitled Autumn Roots Run Deeper Than Walls by co-founder of Autumn Anti-Border Collective, Nellie Jo David. Up first, a member of the Migrant Trail Organizing Committee, Kat Rodriguez, introduces Nellie Jo David. I am very, very excited to present to you Nellie Jo David. She is a member of the Tanawatam Nation. She works to strengthen indigenous rights and autonomy imposed by the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. She is uh, a co-founder of the Autumn Anti-Border Collective. As you know, this uh, migrant trail, uh, all the proceeds from the registration fees and donations are 100% are going to four organizations and the Autumn Anti-Border Collective is one of them. The Autumn Anti-Border Collective is a grassroots group dedicated to maintaining connections despite colonial barriers. She's from Ajo, Arizona, traditionally High said Autumn territory. Hopefully she will correct me later how to say that. Just west of the Tonawatham Reservation. Without further ado, I just want to pass it over to her. She is amazing. She's obtained her JD uh, with Certificate in Indigenous Law and Policy from Michigan State University in 2014. She's currently working on her SJD at the University of Arizona in the Indigenous Peoples Law and Policy Program. I am a volunteer with the Alianza Indígena Sin Fronteras, and she also is a researcher with that organization. So I would like to hand it over to her. Thank you for that introduction, Kat. And I also uh, look up to you and your work on uh, border efforts. Um, thank you so much for um, inviting me today. It's an honor and privilege to be here to share a little bit about what we're going through as uh, Autumn people um, being crossed by borders. And um, so my presentation is about the uh, border militarization on Thono Atham, Akimel Atham, Piposh, and Hiachit Atham uh, traditional territories. So these names aren't all inclusive. So Thono Atham means desert people, Hiachit Atham means sand, and sand people, Akimel Atham means river people. I know that within Hiachit Atham, there were several names that our ancestors called each other. Um, referring to, you know, the type of diet and all kinds of things. And so um, basically we're all Autumn people. What we're called describes uh, the area, which uh, you'll see in the next slide. So our traditional territory, as you can see, 
even though we have like a general area, there's no borders and barriers that come between us as autumn people in our traditional lands. And you'll see that our landscape goes as far uh, north um, as uh, Phoenix area, where Akamel territory is, as far west as Yuma area, uh, as far south as the Gulf of California and Coborca, and as far east as uh, the Tucson area and the San Pedro River. All of the Autumn people, it just pretty much describes our area where I'm from, Hiachet Autumn, um, being the area where I'm from, which is the San people. All of us Autumn are impacted by borders crossing us and pretty much dividing us against ourselves and our own people where we've lived for, for thousands and thousands of years. And I'm going to go into a lot more of um, how we're affected by these uh, dividing lines, not only by the U.S.-Mexico border, but also by the reservation lines, checkpoints, um, national monuments, bombing ranges, and settlements um, where, you know, we now live. There's, you know, different representations of our traditional landscape, but the reservation area is roughly the size of Connecticut, and um, it's a pretty large chunk of uh, land in uh, both Arizona and Sonora, Mexico. A little bit about me, I'm from Ajo, Arizona. Ajo is a border town in every sense of the word. Um, you'll hear about border towns outside of the reservation. Um, Ajo is that, it's right outside of the Tono Autumn Nation. It's a uh, town where native uh, residents often experience discrimination. It's kind of a well-documented thing that outside of reservations is where um, natives often experience violence at the hands of, you know, the uh, settlements that have encroached on, on, um, on Hiachin land. And so Ajo is traditionally Hiachin Autumn territory. It's just west of the Thon Autumn Reservation. It's north of Sonora. It's uh, east of Yuma. And pretty much all of our, our towns, uh, Sonoita, Ajo, Yuma, and there were several other uh, villages and towns in between where there's now the bombing range and Cabeza Prieta and Organ Pipe, all those areas um, used to be very connected with each other. We still are, like Ajo and Sonoita is still connected, and we all are connected family-wise even though we don't have access um, in the way that we used to because so much has changed in the last uh, 150 years. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, this is the Ajo copper mine. Um, it has actually everything to do with uh, border militarization. And uh, you know, what would copper mining have to do with border militarization? Well, um, it had everything to do with not recognizing Hiachit Autumn land when it came to uh, recognizing, you know, the current um, boundaries of where Autumn lived. Our territories on the west side were seen as um, very profitable by copper mining companies. And for that reason, um, there's a lot of evidence that, you know, it was in the interest of the government to um, erase Hiachit Autumn people. And um, that may be one of the reasons why anth anthropologists and archaeologists falsely claim that Hiachit Autumn were extinct, even though um, there's pretty much a really good record of um, our existence. And there's hundreds, um, if not you know, thousands of Hiachit Autumn on both sides of the border. And so, um, you know, it can be inferred that um, the copper mining 
had uh, a lot to do with the reasons that uh, were not recognized or, you know, virtually even folks in Arizona don't know that we exist when we do. And uh, this, what you're seeing is right by the copper mine. It's a former Mexican town and Indian village. Um, it was bulldozed to expand the mine shortly after uh, the entire Mexican town and Indian village were demolished in Ajo, the copper mine closed down. And so what we're seeing now with the increase of border militarization, um, all of that happened in the aftermath of a diaspora of brown folks being forced to leave their homelands because of a forced um, economic incentive. And then that was taken away because the, the mine was closed down. And there's me sitting or uh, standing on the stoops of uh, my grandparents' house. Um, I was taken there since I was a little girl. It was shortly after uh, Mexican Town was demolished. So I think I was, uh, you know, at a young age, I knew that there was a great loss that was happening. And um, my entire life, I felt that loss um, by uh, my family leaving because, you know, we were one of the uh, few families that stayed in Ajo and, uh, you know, stayed where we were. And, um, but we saw everybody leave. And also during that time, um, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, we saw an increase of the drug war and prevention through deterrence and increase of militarization. So it all kind of coincides together. And um, to really understand our situation, you kind of got to understand the heartaches that we've been through prior to um, what's happened. And so because we're, uh, controlled by corporations. Ajo has no mayor. It has no really control other than uh, what Pima County kind of designates to it. Being so far from Tucson, it kind of gets um, kind of short, short ended on, on the deal. And it, a lot of, of the control used to be Phillips Dodge, but now it's Freeport McMorrin. And so um, we'll see an interesting thing where they'll be supporting community gardens, um, but you know they've long been engaged in the exploitation of the land in our communities, um, which is being further desecrated by the wall. And so that's just you know the background for that. And so um, all of that really uh, coincides with the militarization, the wall, everything that has happened. And that timeline, I'll, tr I'll try to go through rather quickly so we won't spend too much time on the history, but often people have existed here in this territory since time immemorial. It wasn't until 1854, which is you know, not even that long ago, where the concept of a border was established on our land. And then fast forward uh, through time, um, the Tono Atom Reservation was established. You'll see that it had uh, different sections and it was also had different names at different times. We've always called ourselves Atom. Papago was uh, other name, another name designated by um, other folks outside of us. Um, it's not what we called ourselves, but it also is important to know, um, I don't think people realize how recent this history is. All of this, uh, the reservation being established uh, wasn't too long ago. It was also during the allotment and assimilation era. We get a lot of questions on as to, you know, why we haven't stood stronger. And um, I, I think those questions can often be very hurtful because they're not understanding of the allotment and assimilation era. And that um, is an entire history of boarding schools intense missionization where our elders um, 
pretty much got beaten and told that if they practiced their culture, they were bad. Um, and so they have that ingrained within them. And for that reason, we are still dealing with the effects of the assimilation era. And uh, I just tossed that photo in as uh, myself and my sister, um, because um, this is in that in-between time before we got super hyper-militarized. Um, and it was the last time that we were able to go to uh, the city without going through a checkpoint. Um, these eras are no longer. So we can no longer go home to Ajo, because Ajo is a small town. It doesn't have a Target, Walmart, anything like that. So it's pretty much a regular thing for town residents uh, to, keep, to go to either Tucson, to go to Hildebrand, to go to Casa Grande, to go to um, Phoenix or Sanoita. And so we were Phoenix goers and um, I was a big homebody. Even when I went to college, I was in Ajo every weekend, but um, I stopped going so much because of the checkpoints because that changed our lives forever. Um, and it really drastically changed everything because we no longer have this freedom to just go back and forth or just, you know, do what we normally do. The preface of where we experienced uh, what we're experiencing now, um, 1941, the bombing range was established. Um, it's, it's relevant because it's now a very much a part of the prevention through deterrence corridor. Um, 1980s, we had Reaganomics, the war on drugs. 1994, uh, as we know, NAFTA was paired along with prevention to deterrence because it was known that the increase in migration that NAFTA was causing would cause death. And so there was an intentional policy to deter people that were migrating with the intention of scaring them so badly that they wouldn't come, which we, we know doesn't work because we have um, very uh, many deaths uh, per year that happen. That was part of many of our experiences along the border for Ajo residents, for residents along the reservation and all border communities. Um, it's a regular thing for our lands and territories to experience um, a high amount of death, suffering, uh, people looking for water and food and substance. And so when I grew up during the 90s, during uh, the prevention through deterrence era, it was a regular occurrence to encounter uh, migrants that were in need of water and food. And um, in my culture and community, in autumn culture and community, it is um, unheard of not to give water. Um, in the community I grew up, it was just, um, you know, that's just something that that we did that's because we're people and they're people and so obviously water is is something that we do and it wasn't you know any any second thoughts given you are listening to excerpts from autumn roots run deeper than walls by co-founder of the autumn anti-border collective nelly joe david from the migrant trail 2020 alternative experience on 30 minutes from 91.3 kxci tucson and then uh, after 2001, uh, September 11th, we had a rapid increase in militarization. Uh, so we already had prevention through deterrence causing destruction and death. And then we had it ramp up. And um, in 2004, we, uh, there was a hiring of 10,000 more Border Patrol. 2005, we had the uh, Real ID Act, which now we're experiencing big time because that's what originally allowed the Secretary of Homeland Security to waive laws along the border. 
um, in 2006 was when we, we saw that, uh, you know, the effects of it come to pass. And as autumn people, we saw that right away. Um, there were uh, Native American Graves and Repatriation Act uh, was waived. Um, 700 miles of border fence insta was installed. And even during that time, um, they were, construction workers were uncovering the remains of autumn um, ancestors and uh, disrespecting the bones of, of our ancestors. One of the things that's really hurtful now is people won't believe that we know that this is gonna happen, but we know this is gonna happen because it's already happened before and it continues to happen every time there is wall construction. Because we've had such a long history of living on this land, they're going to find, if you're gonna cut a line through an entire area where we're, you know, where Autumn people have been for thousands of years, you are going to disrespect our graves. Um, you're going to disrespect our, our ceremony sites. And so, so that's just um, what we've, we've been dealing with. And so 2007, um, we had so-called quote unquote temporary checkpoints far north of the border. Um, they weren't temporary though. And they've remained, um, they do close every once in a while, which I've read could be a possible maybe like legal uh, way of getting or way of calling themselves temporary um, since they're not over 24 seven. I don't, I don't really know the um, for certain, but they've gone way past um, their expiration date. And so, you know, we saw the increase of checkpoints. And like I said, after that time is, is, uh, is when it was hardest for me to visit home. Um, it was really sad. A lot of my classmates uh, that I grew up with, we all would cry together about how we don't feel the same going home. It's, it's not the same. It's overrun by border patrol. It's overrun by um, militarization checkpoints, roving patrols, um, the terror that we live um, with surveillance. And that's just another view of uh, the checkpoint on 86. Um, we have several, we have them um, surrounding every area of the reservation and between there. I think we're the only reservation that has a checkpoint between um, another area of the reservation. And so this checkpoint actually, um, if Autumn want to get from Cells to San Javier, they have to go to this checkpoint. And so they can, we can't even transverse on our own lands without going through a checkpoint. This is not an all-inclusive list, but there are um, many interests that lie as a reasoning behind. You know, we hear a lot of propaganda on the news about, um, you know, a lot of fear-mongering that goes place. Um, but, you know, there's motives behind it. And a, a lot of times when you follow the money, you can see that there's a lot of uh, companies that are making huge profits um, from militarizing indigenous lands and harming um, undocumented peoples by not only the detention centers uh, such as Core Civic, um, but the transport uh, security companies that um, bus um, undocumented people such as G4S or um, the wall companies um, like Fisher, Sand and Gravel, Kiwit, one of the uh, companies on the, um, building the wall on Hiachit Autumn land is a Southwest Valley Constructors and they're an entity of Kiwit. And then there's also Elbit Systems um, who is an entity of Israel, but they also have uh, their he um, headquarters here in the United States and have um, made deals to um, put the integrated fixed towers as well as other sur surveillance technology on the border. And so here's our situation um, currently. 
as we're looking at it. Um, after we've had all of these really messed up policies that have divided our lands and um, interrupted our ceremonies, way of life, um, we are facing on the reservation, there's no promise or guarantee there won't be a physical wall. But there was a great threat made to the nation's leaders that if they didn't agree to the integrated fixed towers by Elbit Systems, that the nation would face a wall. So that wasn't a formal agreement. Nothing was ever made on paper. But at least on the nation's perspective, um, by agreeing to the towers, the government agreed not to build the wall, which, you know, I, I don't believe. Um, but... There's also very many questions with the integrated fixed towers and um, questions that um, we're having to deal with because our people don't know much about them. Because Elbit surveillance first tests um, these surveillance systems on Palestinians, um, we do have an idea if um, you know we listen to Palestinian people how these integrated fixed towers are used to you know, take sovereignty away from indigenous peoples and colonize land. And then on the outside of the reservation, um, this is all as, and keep in mind, this is all um, Otham land. So you'll see to the right of the integrated fixed towers um, near the Sasabe area, Nogales, um, they're beefing up um, the 30 foot barriers with stadium foot lighting. And then also to the uh, west of the reservation, they're beefing up that wall. And so just to get a little bit more into the towers and the um, illegality, um, I think that if we were to challenge, if we were to challenge as Autumn people, um, there would be a lot that would be uncovered of uh, ways that the um, Department of Homeland Security has not followed through on their own laws and procedures. For example, in administrative process, if during an environmental assessment, there is a finding of no significant impact, the agency basically gives itself a pass not to conduct an environmental impact statement. And so because the Border Patrol and the Department of Homeland Security and their, um, their scientists and ecologists uh, made a study that basically didn't do their homework. They didn't do their homework at all. I read over 300 pages of bad, bad homework job. Basically, these folks gave themselves a pass, said that there was no significant impact. Um, that was the complete opposite of um, the residents of Google Village who um, you know, say that there is a huge impact. Not only is there an environmental impact with um, the animals and the ecology, um, the bats and sensitive uh, ecosystem that lives there, because there are microwaves radiating from these uh, integrated fixed towers. Um, and it's like basically like a microwave with no doors. Um, so, you know, there's a worry about the pollinators. There's a worry about, you know, the entire ecosystem going off. Um, there's the additional worry about the excess roads, the uh, eyesore that'll be, this huge metal camera that'll be protruding um, up to 175 feet into the air, um, you know, and with the view of, of maybe five miles um, with night vision and all these advanced techni technological capabilities. Um, that's only scratching the surface. What about the um, intrusion on 
you know, privacy or surveillance that um, folks who are living out in these areas have no privacy whatsoever. When community members bring these things up to the Border Patrol, they're often told things like, um, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, then you shouldn't worry. That always makes me scratch my head because, you know, isn't that contrary to the foundations of what this whole country stands for? Doesn't this country supposedly um, stand for the principles of freedom? And so what does 24-7 surveillance look like, you know, and how, you know, can we be proud as a people when, you know, freedom in any sense of the word doesn't exist? Because it's, it's always, we're always being watched um, all the time. And that's a really scary thing. And just like I said, the finding no significant impact um, allows them to bypass the um, environmental impact statement. And so they falsely say they um, complied with uh, NEPA, but um, they, they really didn't do their homework on that EA. And then we move on to the wall. Um, this is a 2017 trip to Palestine uh, right outside of uh, Bethlehem, near the Ada, Ida refugee camp. And this was, uh, you know, a preliminary uh, warning of what, what we're going to experience here on, on this side of the world um, with the wall and what we are experiencing on our territory. So we have had a really uh, fast-paced fight since that time in Palestine. This past summer, um, there were several, um, several cases in court, but the Center for Biological Diversity was um, suing uh, about the wall. And we thought, you know, for at least a little bit of time, we thought we bought time because in the Ninth Circuit, they won their case. Um, you know, it was decided that, you know, the, Trump used the, the funding illegally. And um, so we thought we had um, some time before this wall was going to be constructed. Um, unfortunately for us, um, the Supreme Court issued a very, very quick stay. It was in about a month's time. And so come August, we were facing wall construction. And um, it really, really threw us uh, for a loop. It started very rapidly and it hasn't stopped. Um, it's actually increased during COVID. I, I don't know to what percentage, but um, during the time where, you know, a lot of us feared for our health and safety, um, in my community of Ajo, um, we experienced um, an increase of border uh, workers, and um, there was no regard for, for the pandemic. And so there were basically man camps being established with no regard for our parents or, you know, the health and well-being of our community. And uh, here's a picture of the um, well drillers. So what they're doing, there's not only these huge panels that are coming through on these big trucks uh, filled with the panels and all the other construction vehicles, but um, there are these companies that go and they find the groundwater exists and they'll just go around and pump anywhere. There's been a lot of false promises. Uh, we were told that um, these well drillers wouldn't drill anywhere near our sacred sites, um, but they did not follow that protocol. And um, we're drilling the wells very close to our sacred site of Quito Bequito. 
and unfortunately in a lot of the areas where um you know areas of desert where there's scarce water anyway a lot of the water levels are really low at Quito Bequito, it's it's a lot lower than it was when the wall um, construction first began, and that's really scary, um, considering that you know that this is a sacred space. You've been listening to excerpts from a presentation called "Ootum Roots Run Deeper Than Walls" by co-founder of the Ootum Anti-Border Collective, Nellie Joe David, from the Migrant Trail 2020 Alternative Experience on 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Since 2004, a group of committed people has coordinated an annual week-long 75-mile walk from Sasebe, Sonora, Mexico to Tucson, Arizona to call for an end to migrant deaths along the U.S.-Mexico border and to stand in solidarity with victims of global migration. In May 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, participants were unable to physically unite to remember those who have died crossing. In order to continue to raise awareness about migrant deaths and to help raise money for local border justice organizations, organizers launched an alternative migrant trail walk experience to bring people together in a virtual environment. More information is available at azmigranttrail.com. This is part of a multi-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org.